there. It's Scary Parish. It's Friday, November 30th, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me. And the story of the past few days, I think, has been Michigan. Wolverines had already hammered Villanova at Villanova. Then on Wednesday night, they destroyed North Carolina in Ann Arbor. Final score there was 84-67. So Michigan is 7-0, ranked sixth at Ken Palm. They lost three of their top four scores from last season's 33-win team that played for the national title, and so far it doesn't seem to matter. Norlander, I know you wrote about Michigan late Wednesday, so let's just start here. What do you make of uh, of John Beeline's team? They are exceedingly impressive, GP, um, to the point where it's not just that people thought they might have been a little bit better than, than could have been expected heading into the season. Uh, when I've watched Michigan this year, and not just what they did against North Carolina this week and not just necessarily what they did against Villanova, those are, those are the two most predominant wins. I also saw a little bit of what they did against Providence when they held Friars to less than 50 points, and the defense has been so standout. I do believe that this team has the potential to be even better than last season's team, which seems a little bit crazy on its surface considering it made the national title game. It had a couple of NBA players on the team. And then, you know, you bring back some good players this season. But, you know, those kind of expectations weren't exactly what most people thought was going to be in store for Michigan. But it's hard to say otherwise at this point because of how great the defense has been. And I would even argue the offense is going to grow into something better. Now, Michigan's going to take its losses. No doubt about that. They've got an intriguing game this weekend it's kind of weird we've got some Big Ten conference play but that's because the Big Ten football game is happening and the league is just trying to like I don't know raise awareness of basketball games being played because they're going to 20 games I digress um it is it is really really uh fascinating to see how good Michigan is and it's it's almost um Villanova-esque in that um it's just the momentum is carrying Parrish. They continue to be good. There, are, There is no real step-back situation. At least we're not seeing it at this point. And it's why um, you can make the argument that it has played really about as well as anyone in college basketball, all told, when you've got the number one defense, you face some big-time opponents uh, away from home, uh, neutral floors, and uh, obviously did what they did against North Carolina on Wednesday. Um, I've got them seventh in the top 25 and one. And as I explained when I wrote about it on Thursday morning, it's only because I, I don't have anywhere else for them to go right now. The six teams I have ahead of them were all ahead of them in the preseason, and none of them have done anything to, to deserve to, to, to be moved down. You could, I guess, argue, well, that doesn't matter. Michigan should push them down, and, and I'll accept that. But, you know, the teams I have ahead of them are – you know, it's a one-loss Tennessee, the lone loss being to Kansas in overtime. It's a one-loss Duke, lone loss being to Gonzaga at the buzzer. And then it's just undefeated teams. So um, if you want to have Michigan in the top whatever, it's fine with me. But I, I've got them seventh and recognize that that might be even slightly low relative to, to what they are and what they've accomplished. The, the interesting thing to me is, is how they're doing it. And it's not unlike the way they did it last season on the defensive end of the court. Um, they were third in defensive efficiency last season uh, after winning 33 games, playing for the national title. Right now they are ranked first in the country in defensive efficiency. And I don't want to say it's all a testament to a hire that John Beeline made a, a couple of years ago, but it is largely um, a, a result of of the hire that John Beeline made a couple of years ago. He hires Luke Yaklich from Illinois State, who – had spent four seasons there, and before that was a high school coach. The story is that he and Dan Muller uh, were in school at Illinois State together way back when. I think Luke was a manager. Uh, 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 Dan was a player. 
And so Dan hires him. And by the time Luke leaves Illinois State, Illinois State in that final season, they went 28-7. and seven. They, had a, uh, they were ranked 19th in the country in defensive efficiency. So then he goes to Michigan. And this is crazy. I looked it up. John Beeline had coached 10 se- – this is his 12th season at Michigan. So he had 10 seasons before Luke Yaklish got there. And in those 10 seasons, on average, Michigan was 73rd in the country in defensive efficiency and never higher than 37th. They were still good, played for a national championship game, played in a national championship game back in 2013, but they were never good on the defensive end of the court. Again, on average, 73rd, never higher than, than 37th in that 10-year period. Hires Luke Yaklich last year, third in defensive efficiency, 33 wins. Right now, 7-0, ranked first in defensive efficiency. And maybe this is what we're going to find out to be true, that when you have an offensive genius as the head coach and a defensive genius on staff and the offensive genius just turns the defense over entirely to the defensive genius, you can afford to lose three of your top four players. You can afford to maybe not quite recruit like Duke and Kentucky and still put out a, a, an awesome basketball team year after year after year. Yeah, if you uh, if you want more on Yaklich, I did a, a feature on him at last season's Final Four. Just Google Matt Norlander, Luke Yaklich, it'll pop up, and it just kind of gives the background of how he wound up in Michigan and how he really almost never even took the Illinois State job to begin with. And it, uh, it is interesting to see how those dominoes have fallen. There's actually also uh, another current Michigan assistant, DeAndre Haynes, who was also an Illinois State assistant under Dan Muller. Dan Muller actually lost two assistant coaches in the summer of 2017, and uh, Michigan has been the beneficiary of that for all the better. Uh, we'll see if Dan Muller and Karma can swing his way this season and if Illinois State can actually get to the NCAA tournament out of the Missouri Valley. But yes, defensively, team looks fantastic. And, um, you know, when you get Charles Matthews to return, you know, there was, you know, speculation he would go to the NBA. And I actually think that he will be an NBA, on an NBA roster one year from us having this conversation, Parrish. You get him back, Iggy Brazdikas, who's been a revelation, steps in. Um, uh, you know, in his freshman season and clearly has a uh, good experience in, in playing through Canada and he's looked fantastic. Xavier Simpson, awesome defender and uh, just, you know, growing into a, a really good role there. So overall, Lee and Teske's been better than I thought. So I just, no bad things to say about Michigan. Um, it'll stumble at some point here, obviously, but right now it's just, it's looked like the best team in the Big Ten. We thought it would be Michigan State. We even thought that Michigan State might have a little bit of distance between anyone else uh, in the conference. It's not the case. Michigan is the best team in the Big Ten right now and sets up for that going forward. So on the other side of this uh, was North Carolina, and they have now lost twice this season, and they've lost to the two best teams that they played. Afterward, Roy Williams gave a pretty uh, memorable uh, press conference, said that his coaching, quote, sucks, and that his basketball team stinks, and that he's got nothing good to say about his team or anybody on his team. Does... Does North Carolina stink, Norlander, or is that Roy just being Roy? It's a little bit of Roy being Roy. He can also make these kind of comments when when you've uh, when you've won multiple national championships and uh, you know you're a top two coach in the history of your school. You know you can you can go to those uh, to those places. Overall, they don't stink. Um, they they actually started looking decent against Michigan at the at the early part of the game. And what made Michigan's win so impressive was the fact that. Uh, it just kind of turned it all on the Tar Heels and, and did what it did to them. Um, but, uh, you know, 
I still think North Carolina is a top 15 team in, in America. Um, I thought it, it rebounded well against UCLA, and it actually played an entertaining and good game against Texas. Its other loss came in Vegas to Texas, a three-point loss uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, actually the night of Thanksgiving. And if you watch that game, like it was a loss, but it was a – it was a good loss, if you will. They, like, UNC didn't look lackluster, didn't look problematic overall. It was an entertaining game. Um, defensively, yeah, they got to fix some stuff there. And then, as I mentioned, I think on the previous podcast, GP, um, Nasir Little is continuing to come off the bench. I don't think that's a problem, so to speak, but it, it is just interesting that uh, Kobe White, the other freshman, is looking pretty good overall. Um, and, and Little yet, uh, granted, he's, he's competing with Luke May, Cameron Johnson, in the front court, um, he's he's getting decent minutes as is. Decent, it could be better, but uh, but there's a lot of talent around that team, and it's just uh, I think that to me is just a, a developing plot point. Like, will UNC pop? Will UNC show that it's a top ten club once Little is playing like a top ten freshman? I don't know if those things will correlate at all, but we uh, we wait and see because UNC, unless I'm looking at its schedule wrong here, Parish. Um, they're going to be out of the spotlight for a good while here. They've got a home game against Wilmington on December 5th, but then the next game, and some of this will be is finals and stuff, but this is uh, this is just surprising to see that they've got so little. They've got two games between November 29th and December 21st. The next time they'll play a game other than Wilmington is Gonzaga, and that will be in Chapel Hill on December 15th. It'll be a huge game and potentially could be you know the, what sets up North Carolina's overall uh, seed prospects because they follow up that up with Kentucky, but not a lot of uh, concern for me right now with UNC. I'd rather wait to see what they do against Gonzaga in more than two weeks from now. Yeah, I'm not worried about uh, about North Carolina. Like you like you said, um, the Texas game could have gone either way. I mean, they, they could be they could have they could have entered Michigan uh, with a seven and zero record very reasonably. It was really just a shot here, shot there, whatever. Um, at Michigan, they got ran off the court, but like, who wouldn't get run off the court at Michigan right now? <laughs> right, you know, exactly. Maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe Gonzaga, maybe Duke, but like Michigan seems, you know, Michigan ran Villanova off of its own court, and what we might know because Villanova bounced back and and went down to Orlando, I guess, and won the Advocare Invitational. They beat Florida State, and Florida State is good. Coming off, you know, Florida State just earlier this week beat Purdue. So what we might find out is that we were all panicky about Villanova, like, oh, my God, what's wrong with Villanova? And and maybe Villanova's not nearly as bad as 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 it looked, or as Michigan made it look early. Maybe in reality, it's just Michigan's awesome, and Michigan looked awesome against North Carolina, and uh, maybe North Carolina's not as bad as Roy seems to think. It does seem like uh, that Roy says something like this <laughs> about every other year. <laughs> Um, like after an early loss, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, this is the worst I've ever coached. This is the, you know, I can't get my team to respond to me. So I think it is mostly Roy being Roy, but we'll find out maybe not soon because of the way the calendar uh, unfolds. They don't play often um, anytime soon, but two of the next three games mm-hmm. are against Gonzaga and Kentucky. It's a Gonzaga in Chapel Hill, like you pointed out, and then it's Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic in Chicago. You and I will both be at that one. So, um, you know, I, I, I would assume that, that, that North Carolina wins at least one of those games and, and perhaps two, and we'll look back on November 30th and, and say, yeah, they, just, they took a bad loss at Michigan, but it was really nothing more than, than what a lot of teams are going to do, it appears, this season at Michigan. Uh, last night, the Bob Knight 30 for 30 
uh, The Last Days of Night, uh, made its television debut. It had been on ESPN Plus for a while, uh, but made its television debut last night. I was occupied last night, so I did not have a chance to watch it, but I know you watched it. Is it worth me watching when I get some free time? I think so, Parrish, and I'll admit when I saw that, you know, a 30 for 30 on night and the end of his Indiana career was was being made, I wasn't really that interested in it. I, I didn't know how much was going to be there and how much of a story was worth telling and, you know, going down, the, the putting a spotlight on Bob Knight again, you know, frankly, just uh, it wasn't something that I initially thought I was going to be interested in. But, I, but the whole 30 for 30 revolves around this former uh, producer, writer, reporter with CNNSI when CNNSI was a thing back in the day. And uh, CNNSI was the outlet that broke the story about Bob Knight choking Neil Reed in a practice in 1997. And then, you know, subsequent to that, three years later, long after Reed had left, was when all of that came out. That prompted Indiana to put a zero tolerance policy on Bob Knight. And then Bob Knight's dismissal in September of 2000 came when Miles Brand fired him after Knight um, allegedly uh, you know, grabbed a kid by the arm outside of Assembly Hall when the students said, hey, what's up, Knight? That's what really uh, you know, triggered the downfall. For people that have, were around, like this is, you know, this is just a mild refresher. What was in- interesting was just the reporter story throughout all of this um, and how he went about getting the information, getting Neil Reed on camera, how he got the video in the first place, which is not divulged in the uh, documentary and uh, says that he'll never divulge that. And that's obviously good job protecting your sources there. Um, I didn't learn anything more about Bob Knight than I hadn't before, but the two thing, uh, three things that stood out from it for me were, one, um, I was watching this through the lens of college basketball in 2018 and over the past five or six seasons, Parrish, we've had a coach almost annually get in trouble for doing something uh, verbally or physically abusive, allegations proven or otherwise. Um, and the, I guess the after fumes of the Bob Knight type of kind of coaching is there, but it seems to dissipate year by year. I think when we get to say 2030, 2035, I would hope, I'm thinking and I'm hoping that if we were to go back and watch the Bob Knight documentary and see how he behaved, it would be like, I mean, this is ridiculous. Like you just, it, one, it was never acceptable, but the, two, the idea that someone could coach college basketball at any level and behave this way and think that it's uh, anywhere near acceptable or a proper practice, I think we're going to grow to find how ridiculous and outdated that was. It already feels a bit like that now, but I think as the years go on, it'll be even worse. Two, just the uh, all that went into getting this story out and what Indiana tried to do to basically fight it initially. Um, that was just from a reporting standpoint, I thought that was intriguing. And three, the sad part, uh, Neil Reed has passed. He passed in July of 2012. In fact, I remember being in Vegas with you and, and the guys, GP, um, when that news came out. He had a, he had a heart condition, and uh, and that's what led to his passing. So the final 15 minutes of the documentary – get into what's really a very sad look at Neil Reed after the fact because it goes back to when he was on camera with CNNSI and reacting to the video of Knight choking him in practice and his body language is extremely uncomfortable. You can tell, he, you can tell even though he's three plus years removed from this, he's still disturbed by all of that. So there was a real human touch um, and I wouldn't call it closure. I would call it just a, a sad poignant ending to this in that uh, Bob Knight has outlived a lot of the people that uh, played a part in 
his demise at the end of Indiana, but I would say that he played the biggest part by far, not even close. Um, but the Neil Reed aspect of this was in particular uh, particularly tragic, even though he had found some uh, some happiness in his life, you know, you know, seven, eight, nine years down the road, uh, his uh, his life unfortunately came to a premature end. So it's worth a watch. Um, nothing like no huge revelations, but it definitely brought more than I was initially expecting for what was, you know, a 90, 100 minute documentary. I feel sorry for Bob Knight um, because I, I don't want to say he's miserable because I don't know him like that. But he s- appears to have such a miserable outlook on life. He's 78 years old. He's a Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer, three-time national champion, went to five Final Fours, won 11 Big Ten regular season titles, um, was a two-time national coach of the year, and obviously probably should have been that more than that, uh, won a gold medal as a coach, won a national championship as a player. And people in Indiana, f- f- I think still to this day, but I, I – I defer to Indiana fans on that, but certainly for a long time, really just want. Nolan Richardson have made up um, over the years. You know that was another divorce between Nolan and Arkansas. I mean, I, I think Nolan actually sued the university at one point, and they made up. They, you know, they they. Decide like it's no way to spend the rest of your life like being resentful and 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 filled with anger and whatever else. And now Nolan is a a, a pretty regular um, uh, a, a, a regular participant in in Arkansas events. He's in Bud Walton Arena uh, fairly often, and. Bob Knight's going to die someday, maybe tomorrow, maybe 15 years from now. And he will have, it doesn't appear will have ever let that resentment go. And to, to live that way, I, I, perhaps I'm projecting, but it, 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 it seems to me that to live that way seems like such a waste and seems like um, just – I don't know. I would. I would. I. You know, Bob Knight doesn't need advice from me, but it just seems like it'd be a much better way to close your life if you just let the past be in the past. Let those folks at Indiana celebrate you the to life. It's not a great approach to life for Bob Knight. Uh, he can live it however he chooses to live it. Perish, but um, that him not going back to Indiana was also. A small part of the documentary overall, and obviously IU has made overtures to him a few times over the past decade. And most recently, 2016 was the 40-year anniversary of the 76 team that went undefeated, the last team in college basketball, men's D1, that did so, and he rejected that as well. It appears that he is uh, he's completely through with his former university, and it just is what it is. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, you know, night, night in general um, – I don't. I don't hold nearly as much uh, regard or esteem or respect for him as as others do. I recognize from a coaching element and standpoint, in terms of tactician X and O, he is uh, he is an elite mind. But uh, so many of the other things that he did for me completely um, overshadow, if not borderline, eliminate that. And that will be. It's his own doing. That will be more what he's remembered for than his motion offense. I mean, that 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 was rewritten. 
the day that he was fired from Indiana, essentially, and uh, the way he's behaved toward his university, his former one since then, and in my opinion, has only exacerbated the problem. Yeah, I mean, that, that I, I always hate it for those people, even if they don't even realize they should hate it for themselves, that you, you're such an amazing person in, in this very specific way and such an accomplished person in a very specific way, and yet that will not be what you're remembered for. Bob Knight is, is arguably the greatest basketball mind of all time, undeniably one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time, and yet that will not be the way he's remembered by most. He'll be remembered as a bully, um, uh, as a uh, – you know, as a as someone who comes across as miserable, and he really does. Like even in person, I've been around him a little bit. I think I've told the story on the podcast before, but we have so many new listeners that oh, that, that I'm sure some people haven't heard it. I um, <laughs> we were at a Champions Classic, I think, in New York, and afterward, Jay Billis asked me and a couple of the people, "Hey, we're going over to Carnegie Deli. You guys want to go to Carnegie Deli?" I said, "Sure, we'll, we'll meet you at Carnegie Deli." And this is like midnight. I mean, it's after all the games. After we've written, we go to Carnegie Deli. So it's me. I think Howard Garfinkel was there. I believe John Rosty was there. Maybe Jeff Goodman, Jay Billis, Bob Knight, um, and and maybe a couple of other people. But it was a it was a it, it wasn't like ten people. It was like six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. And so Bob Knight happens to be sitting like right across from me. And I bet you he didn't say two words the whole time we were there. And we were there in probably two hours. He just had nothing to say. You know, you know how when you are at dinner with even with strangers, you might just out of just being decent, like just say, hey, so um, so what's your story? So how are your kids? So any just anything to acknowledge another person's presence. There was none of that for like two hours. I don't remember him ever even looking at me or Anybody other than the very specific person he happened to be talking to, which was like one person. I don't even remember who it was. So then um, so we eat all the roast beef and all the whatever you eat at a deli at midnight. Everybody's full. But then they're going to offer dessert. You're not turning down dessert. So they come around the table and it's like, yeah, I'll have the cheesecake. And then somebody else is like, yeah, I'll have the big chocolate cake. And somebody else is like, yeah, I'll have the lemon ring pie. You know, typical deli desserts, if those are typical deli desserts. Gets to Bob Knight. Swear to God, this is true. Tell me if you've ever seen, heard of anybody doing this before. The waiter looks at Bob Knight and says, uh, and, and would you like a dessert? And he said, I'd like a plate of bacon. Is that a normal thing? Do people eat bacon for dessert? <laughs> It's not a normal thing, but uh, listen, Bacon Nation comes hard, comes heavy, uh, and is willing to do anything, anywhere, anytime for any kind of bacon. So I'm sure it's it's. I'm sure Bob Knight wasn't the first person in the in the history of humankind to opt for bacon post dinner. But regardless, given given setting and said orders of of cakes and pies, uh, you know, it's it's more than a curveball. My man said, I wanna, I'll want have a plate of bacon. And, and they didn't even blink. They just brought him a plate of bacon. So I'm sitting there, like, amazed by this. Like, okay, this dude hadn't said a word in two hours to anybody other than the person sitting to his immediate left. And, and now he's ordering a plate of bacon. So this whole thing's weird. And then, swear to God, this is true, they deliver all of our desserts. I got my pie, and somebody else got their cake, and Bob Knight's got his plate of bacon. And for the first time all night, this dude looks at me in my eyes, Bob Knight. It might really be the only words he's ever spoken directly to me. He said, would you like a piece of bacon? <laughs> and I'm like, on one hand, of course I don't want a piece of bacon, Bob. It's dessert time. I just ate like all the roast beef you can eat. 
I don't want to eat bacon on top of that. I want uh, a cheesecake, whatever. On the other hand, how do you turn down Bob Knight? Like, if I say I don't want bacon, is he going to choke me? I don't know. But plus, he's at least for the first time in, 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 in the whole night showing some sort of willingness to, like, reach out and be a normal human being and, like, communicate with people. So I said, yeah, Coach Knight, I would like a piece of bacon. And so I grab a piece of bacon off the plate, and I'm just crunching on bacon. And still to this day, I don't know if he really – wanted bacon or if he just wanted to see if anybody was man enough to stand up to him and refuse his offer because he offered bacon to i think everybody and everybody was just chewing on bacon because you don't want to say no to bob knight because he might choke you yeah i would have said no to bob knight because i don't eat bacon uh but you know that's just you would have turned down coach knight's bacon <laughs> unquestionably no hesitation i didn't know how to i didn't want the bacon but i didn't know how to turn it down i gave into bob knight's peer pressure it's okay I- it's, it's completely understandable all right weekend ahead parish what's catching your eye I- well, not a whole lot. Uh, there is not a single game between two top 15 teams in the country. Uh, but number one, Gonzaga is on the road against a quality opponent. That's Creighton. Number five, Nevada is on the road. That's at USC. We also got Wisconsin at Iowa, Kansas State at Marquette, Purdue at Michigan, Memphis, Texas Tech, Oregon, Houston, and then on Sunday, Minnesota at Ohio State, and then there's Arizona at UConn as well. Any of that you care about? Uh, I'll have some. I'll have some uh, passing glances. I would be at the Arizona UConn game if not for the fact that uh, a belated birthday present to my mother. We are going to the Bears Giants game uh, at the what was formerly the Meadowlands. I guess we just call it MetLife. But uh, so I'll be there seeing if. Chase Daniel can get the the Bears to nine and three. Here's to hoping, but uh, expectations a little low after a great Thanksgiving performance. Yes, I will turn this into a Bears podcast anytime you want. Arizona UConn's just intriguing. Let's Arizona's look decent. Uh, I just I think that that has the potential to be a really intriguing and very interesting game. And I have no idea who's going to win. I think I'm going to take UConn in that one, but I'm just I'm overall I'm a little fascinated by that. Uh, Minnesota Ohio State's the only other game on Sunday that's really of of uh, exceptional note, if even that, and I, I don't know. Um, for the ones you mentioned Saturday, Saturday's actually kind of decent. Like, it's halfway decent, and it's obviously going up against college football's championship weekend. Um, Gonzaga, Creighton, that's no gimme for Gonzaga. Let's let's see, that's a 2 o'clock tip on Saturday. Uh, we'll definitely be keyed in on that. K-State at Marquette, I think, can be a really, really good game, and it would really benefit Marquette's schedule, or um, resume, if you will, if they could steal that one. Purdue-Michigan might be the best game of all. Um, I expect Michigan to win, but Purdue played well and lost at Florida State earlier in the week, and you could argue it should have had that win, GP. Um, let's see. You know, Maybe we get a little bit of a, of a, of a curveball there if, if the Boilermakers are able to <laughs> negate some of what we said on the podcast here and, and upset the Wolverines. We don't think that's going to happen, but I'm not putting it out of the realm of possibility. Um Nevada USC, you mentioned, um, just intriguing there. And then Oregon at Houston, I think Houston's going to win that game. And if Houston wins that game and then Arizona wins at UConn, we might have just a situation where we look up and we're like, oh, okay, I guess Arizona's the best team in the Pac-12. Again, even though they were picked fourth in the preseason and almost no one thought that team would be the best in that league. Better not let Bobby Hurley t- hear you say that. That's also fair. Arizona State's been plenty good. I'm not. I'm not gonna completely dismiss the Sun Devils at this point. They do have uh, a claim to that, and they are certainly in the mix. Keep an eye on Gonzaga at Creighton. Um, Creighton is a top 30 team. I've got them in the top 25 and one. This is Gonzaga's first true road game, and Omaha is an amazing basketball environment. 
Like for people who've never been to a Creighton game at Creighton, like it is, it is excellent. And I imagine when you've got uh, the top ranked Gonzaga Bulldogs coming in, uh, it'll be jam packed. I don't know what the capacity is. If it's 17, 18, 19, it's, but it's big and it'll, it'll be, it'll be filled. And so, you know, Kimpom projects that as just a Gonzaga 83, 80 win. So the point spread on that is probably going to be around three or four. Uh, we're not talking about, um, you know, easy in an easy weekend for Gonzaga, even if Creighton right now I don't believe is is ranked in the in the AP poll. So uh, to me, that's the one that is most interesting. Gonzaga at Creighton because we're watching the the team that the only team to beat Duke, the team ranked number one right now, um, in a in a a real tough situation uh, in Omaha against a Creighton team that seems to be better than than what most people thought it would be in the preseason. And and for Gonzaga, I mean, I love the way Mark Few schedules when he knows he's going to have a great team, really anyway, but when he knows he's going to have a great team, like why not just fill up your non-league schedule with monster after monster? Because once they get to January and they're playing WCC games, it, it's just going to be, um, you know, they, they won't even be contested very often. So they're at Creighton this weekend. Then you get a home game against Washington on Wednesday. Then you get Tennessee on a neutral next Sunday. And then the following Saturday, it's at North Carolina. So um, Mark Few has undeniably put together a schedule that's going to give Gonzaga a chance to get a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, um, regardless of how easy they might have it in the WCC. Um, of course, you got to go win the games, but um, so far so good. 7-0 with that win over Duke and also a neutral court win over Arizona. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry. MF and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Remember, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. To those of you who have already done it, thank you. Sincerely, it means a lot. If you haven't done it yet, shame on you. Please go do that. It takes a second for crying out loud. It's got a button there. It says subscribe. You just have to push the stupid button that says subscribe. It's easy. So do that. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. And we will talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then. Take care.